everyone. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, in case this is the first time you bumped into this podcast, it is a 12-step recovery podcast primarily. Uh, I do explore other ways that people, uh, other methodologies that people use to find their true selves, uh, but it's primarily 12-step recovery. There's a book and it's called 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. It's by James Christopher Cohn. It is an uh, updated version of the 12 steps. It's geared for anybody to use it, not just uh, alcoholics and addicts and those who fit in the traditional 12-step fellowships. If you're currently in a 12-step fellowship and you maybe want to level up, that book would suit you there too. And... If maybe you just couldn't feel it in AA or NA or any of the other 12-step fellowships but still want to utilize the 12-step tools, uh, I guess you could say we're a non-denominational 12-step group. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn on Amazon. We also have meetings and uh, other various typical 12-step fellowship activities and uh, you can find us at 12stepspiritualrecovery.com and we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page of the same name. Music wrapped around this is by Darren Frank and I will get on to it. Ross, Shane, and I were invited to speak on a panel as the three panelists and uh, what I've done is I've taken our answers and tacked them on here. I didn't want to retain the chairperson's voice and I tried to cut out everybody else's voice. She sneaks in here and there, but uh, I just felt in the places that it did, it was unavoidable. Uh, so you'll hear me break in and I will state the question she asked us and then uh, you'll hear our responses. I will apologize for it being a little choppy. Um, I'm probably not at the audio editing level that I would like to be but one thing this did was give me some practice and uh, I think the content uh, is is definitely worth preserving and uh, to the best of my abilities I'm going to start using opportunities like this in order to provide content it is a off the cuff from the gut from the heart responses to typical or some typical questions about living this life. And frankly, uh, I'm having a really good time doing it. And I know Shane and Ross are also having a blast in their recovery. So, without any further ado, we will get to the questions. Hi, my name is Ross. I'm an alcoholic. March 8, 2019. Uh, home group. Uh, my home group for number one is T uh, 12 Steps Spiritual Recovery Meditation Meeting, Monday nights, 8 o'clock here in this room. Tuesday, Men's Spiritual Underground Men's Meeting, where it all started for me. Thursday, 12 Steps Spiritual Recovery, Juice Box Heroes. And Sunday, I have a meeting at my house. Uh, so, uh, TSSR meeting at my house. And uh, I think that's it. What else? Oh, my sponsor is Darren Frank, their grand sponsor. And uh, thank you very much. I'm Ross. Grateful to be here. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Ross. Hi, everyone. My name is Dan Reeves. Uh, January the 1st, 2015. Hey, Dan. Um, hey, Dan. 
Hey, Dan. My sponsor is Christopher C. Uh, my home group is the Spiritual Underground Meeting, which is a men's meeting that meets every Tuesday night at 7.30. Uh, I'll throw a little pitch in there for myself. I also host a uh, podcast that is a recovery-based podcast where people tell their stories. Uh, so I'm always looking for guests, so if anybody would like to do that, uh, I would love to get your story on my podcast. And uh, these two gentlemen have been, along with quite a few others in this room, have been on it too. So uh, looking forward to tonight. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Dan. Dan. Shane Gibson, alcoholic addict. Shane. Uh, My Sprite date is 10-3-16. My um, home group is Spiritual Underground, Tuesday night's men's group. Uh, And my sponsor is Christopher C. Um, grand sponsor Darren Frank. We're all this is my sponsor brother. <laughs> I've, I've uh, had the honor to uh, sponsor Ross in my life. Um, grateful to be here tonight. Uh, see a lot of familiar faces, and uh, looking forward to getting in, on uh, getting into these questions. I'm a little nervous. I love it. Hell yeah. The first question is: What are some things you do each day to improve your conscious contact with God? Well, my name's Dan. I'm not supposed to introduce myself, but I will one more time. Uh, you know, this thing has taught me to, to you know, there's a certain certain things that is in that book and, and what, has been, what has been taught from sponsor to sponsor, you know. And when I come, when I'm today, when I come conscience, conscious in the morning, uh, I almost worry about it's a little bit too much of a rote prayer because when I wake up, sometimes I do it. I took a nap a little while ago when my eyes come open, I was saying my morning prayer. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't like it getting to be too rote, but I also like that that's ingrained in me now. That is part of me. Uh, I, I pray. I meditate. Uh, my meditations used to be longer. They're really not today. They're just, you know, five minutes of quiet time before I get moving in the morning. Uh, <clears throat> and then when it comes to improving your conscious contact, I'll expand on that just a little bit because over time I've been taught to, to expand these principles, you know, and it's not just improving my conscious contact with with God or whatever you want to use, what word you want to grunt out when you're talking about your higher power. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm improving my conscious contact with my higher power when I'm improving my conscious contact with this man or with this man or with that gal or that little boy and my father and my kids. So when it says improve conscious contact, I, I, I expand that a little bit beyond just uh, the woo-woo higher power kind of thought. Thank you all. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, y'all know who I am. <laughs> he said it once, twice, three times. Um, so, uh, to piggyback off what he said, uh, I start my day off with prayer. Uh, right? I mean, before I even wake up, really, uh, as soon as I even think I'm awake, I start praying. I usually fall back asleep. And then when I become fully conscious, I go through a certain set of prayers that I go through every day. Um, another way I stay in conscious contact is with I try to meditate all the time like constantly just stay in a state of meditation and how I do that is just focusing on the task at hand where I'm at right now and not have all the worries of all the what ifs and where I need to be or what all these other things that are going on in my life as long as I focus on what I'm doing right now I'm doing God's work so I'm standing now and uh, carrying this message by practicing these principles in all my affairs. Everywhere I go, I'm looking for some way to help somebody. Um, 
I'm a plumber. I'm on plumbing company here in Louisville. So I have a chance to interact with a lot of people during the course of a day. And I look for those little opportunities. I see something in our house, they say a certain word, but I try to connect with them. The opposite of um, addiction is connection. And being connected to all of you all is a higher power to me. So Shane gets an alcoholic, thank you. Thanks Shane. Hi, I'm Ross, I'm an alcoholic. Hey Ross. Hey, Ross. Uh, some of the things I do each day to improve my conscious contact with God is uh, I don't deviate from my uh, morning routine, no matter what. Uh, uh, by the grace of God, there hasn't been a 911 where I've had to jump up and go to the hospital or jump up out of bed and, and, and pray while I'm walking. Uh, so, uh, and everything else just goes second. Uh, I take a piss, even though Don Major told me not to. He said, pray before you piss. I take a piss, and I come back, I set coffee, and I go pray. And uh, by the grace of God, my little dog prays with me too every time, Romeo. Um, and... Uh, I don't deviate from that prayer, and then I sit there in Indian style for a few seconds and try to meditate while I'm staring at Mel Romeo for a second, the dog, and uh, start my day like that no matter what, no matter what. And uh, what used to be a 30-second prayer of God, please just get me out of this shit, is now about an eight-minute prayer. Sometimes the last two minutes change for me. It's just custom to me. It's been going on since for almost two, two exact years now on the prayer part. Uh, when I made a, when I, when I, when I said to the world, you do not want to see me without my routine, and I'm afraid of what it could become. Um, and uh, so, to improve my conscious contact with God, uh, I constantly test myself through the day uh, based on my fears. So, uh, if I don't want to do something, I find out if it's fear or anger, and I move through it, and I immediately have a conscious contact. I guess. Um, I just keep moving forward, I guess. What you can say is, uh, and then just all of a sudden I'll get smacked in the face with another eye-opening event um, that I'm like, wow, thank you. you know? So, um, hopefully that made some sense. Thank you, I'm Ross. Thanks, Ross. The next question was spiritual awakenings. Would you be willing to share your experience with spiritual awakenings? Yeah, I'll start that one. Um, <laughs> so uh, when I first came in here, um, I did not believe in a higher power. Um, I was taught a vengeful, wrathful God growing up. I had no connection with that dude at all. I was scared to death of God. And uh, when I came in the rooms, they said, uh, cast away your old ideas. And when I heard that, I was like, I'm going to go to hell if I cast away the God of my understanding that I already had. So I was like, well, where's that God got me today? You know, look at where you're at right now. So uh, I went in with an open mind and uh, just started um, listening to everybody else's conceptions of what they are and how they found theirs. And um, one day, uh, a, a mentor of mine gave me some Joe and Charlie CDs. And um, he said, listen to them. And I said, all right. So uh, I had him, and a week later, he asked me if I'd listen to him. I said, no. So one day I was driving down the road and I started throwing them in and listening to them and finally got down to uh, disc four, track 11, 411 information. And uh, Joe and Charlie were talking about uh, this story. And it went like this. There were three wise men from the east that stole from man the crown of life, God. And once they had it, they said, well, now we got what we're going to do with it because they're going to want it back. So the first one said, we'll take it to the highest mountain. We'll hide it in the deepest crevice of the highest mountain. Everyone said, well, you know how there are, they'll search and they'll find it. The second one said, let's take it to the deepest ocean and hide it in the deepest crevice of the deepest ocean. 
They said, you know how they are, they'll search and they'll find it. Then the third one said, let's hide it within himself. He'll never search for it there. Is that God or is that God? And when they said that, I never realized that God dwelled within me. I did not feel worthy of God's love or even part of God. I listened to that probably 50 times in a row. Every time they said within yourself, I fucking teared up, excuse my friend, and goosebumps, God shots all over. Um, that was one of my biggest spiritual awakenings and uh, really propelled me uh, to want to search and dive more into what this um, higher power thing was. And uh, all these little miracles started happening around my life. Like, I've been going like 60 days sober, and um, this may not sound like a spiritual awakening to you all, but it was for me. So, <laughs> um, I was driving down the road, thinking about my wife um, and all the things I'd done. She had not said I love you in 60 days. You know, uh, um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get her some flowers, take them to her work, and, uh, and, and drop them off for her. And I was like, no, she won't want you to spend that money because you've already messed up your credit. you got all these financial amends to make. She won't want you to spend them on And they die anyway. No more than I said that or had that thought. I'm driving down the middle of 42, and there's a bouquet of flowers in the middle of the freaking road. I stop in the middle of 42, traffic going by, and I grab those flowers, and it was the prettiest bouquet of artificial flowers that won't die. <laughs> and I get back in my truck, and I was like laughing like a madman. I was like, oh my God, what is going on? God was so juiced up that God gave me that gift. And what he gave me was a vision to see things more clearly today. To actually see those little moments on, what was that, you know? Is that what that was, you know? Was that God? And I see him much more today. And I drove out to my wife's work and, and gave him to her at work and told her a story. And she still has those flowers today. So that's uh, a little bit. Shane gets knocked off. Who are you? Shane gets knocked off. Spiritual awakening. <clears throat> My take is that we start out perfect. What happened over time was between, and just like Bill says, calamity, pomp, worship of other things, trauma, other things happened to me, stepped on my very spirit. When I came to AA, four years before my current sobriety date, because I stumbled around trying any other way but the way that y'all were telling me to do it, uh, I couldn't find another way. Uh, things kept getting worse, not better, just like the book says. And uh, by the time I got here, my spirit was so asleep and dead from everything I'd done to myself that you know that's ultimately what I was doing. When I got here, they told me I was spiritually sick. I thought they were telling me I didn't have any religion, uh, and I was offended. I did not have any religion, but I was still offended they would cast <laughs> such things on me. And, uh, and I found out it was something completely different. So what has happened as a result of doing this work and, and the things that are laid out in this, in this book and the things that have been laid out to me that are what I think is tribal knowledge, it's not really in there, it's what gets passed around among us, uh, is an awesome way, uh, a way of doing life. And it awakened the very spirit inside of me so that now I can do like what Shane's talking about, I can be of use to this place, to this planet. I can. Uh, Hell, I feel like I can deserve to share oxygen with you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you couldn't have told me that before, but that's the way I felt about it. Uh, so down on myself that uh, 
that spirit was so sick that it, it didn't like itself. And uh, that's that's been healed today and turned around. That's all. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ross. I was, uh, uh, my name, I was saying to myself, I'm not um, I, uh, So uh, my, uh, my sponsor is really into exactly kind of what you were talking about. Uh, you know, from the time we're born, I think that's our first, but now that you mentioned this, that's our first, my first spiritual awakening, but I couldn't remember the exact birth. So, and I was pure until I was about seven, until the world dumped all this shit on me and then all my teachers came in here and then I learned from different teachers um, I did have a spiritual awakening that I didn't know of and I didn't take it in 2009 when I came into the rooms that was my first spiritual awakening as an adult that I could remember uh, because it planted a seed for me to go out well, because I ran on self will until I came in 11, 11, 18 and messed around in my fourth step until March 8, 2019 and uh April 13th, the date my mom died, um, was the day that Shannon and I did our fifth step. And uh, that was the day that I freed my mom and I was free. So that was my spiritual awakening to get me to move the fuck on and to let be able to let her free and let me free. But I, through this man, I was able to talk to her. I was ready, willing. And I, I exploded all my fit step shit to him fucking every 10 minutes on the phone. I fucking did this. I fucking did that. I was ready to get that shit out. And I was ready. And that fourth column was staring in my face. And I was ready. I fucking admitted what I had done. And I was ready to fucking forgive and move the hell on. And when we got to that fit step, it was set up exactly how God wanted it. And it was to free my mom and to free me because she passed away from cancer. And that was the killer for me, the last family member. So that was my spiritual awakening that made me believe a thousand percent because I always have to see shit. You know, you might fucking move that wall over there, but damn it, my alcoholic brain wants me to say, well, do it again. <laughs> you know, so uh, little by little that starts to go away some, you know, so, but that's my spiritual awakening. And that's, uh, that's uh, fucking awesome to me. Uh, thank you. After that question, they did a thing called rapid fire where they asked a series of questions and we were to give one or two word answers all together. We weren't taking turns. We just fired them out there. And uh, there was a record they talked about being 36 seconds that people answered it. Uh, somebody got out a timer and they shot them at us. And when they turned off the timer, it was 33 seconds. Uh, Ross was uh pretty fired up about wanting to break that record. I didn't have any idea what it was until I experienced it. Uh, so Ross got his uh, dream there and, and it kicked in three seconds faster than the record. The next question is, what do you think about dating? Time, early sobriety, etc. Absolutely not. In my opinion, uh, I do not think you should date in your first year of sobriety, um, you need to concentrate on yourself. I was actually married, <laughs> so um, it, it was kind of tough um, because my wife didn't even really talk to me for the first 60 days of my sobriety um, because of all the lies and everything. So I, I suggest to my sponsees, if they're not in a relationship at the time, to give themselves one year to focus on their self and get sober and, and love their self before they can love somebody else. Thanks. Thanks, Shane. Um, I don't really have a timeline, I don't think, man. I think it's worth the steps. 
Um, and, and plus that gives a little bit of fire under them to get that work done. Uh, it's just another distraction, just like dope or anything else. I mean, you know how we do. We stop doing this, you know, we put down the drink and the dope, and we just shift over to something else, or if it's working out or eating or a relationship or, or what workaholism, that's me. Uh, and so it's just, a, you know, the disease is kind of baffling and powerful, and it will insert that into you to keep you distracted from doing that. And the two things that fuck everybody up quicker than anything else is finances and romances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Um, I would uh, say that, uh, okay, so if, you, if I fight them on it, and uh, if I fight them on it, they're going to do like I did. I'm going to do what the fuck I want. So you have a chance to lose them. Uh, you have a chance to not be able to help them. So uh, what I really think that uh, they need to work the steps and then figure out who they are and then go from there. Uh, I won't date anybody in sobriety unless they work the steps and they're sponsored people. Um, and they're sponsoring multiple people. Why did you look at me? I'm married. Why did you look at me? He's having to be in my view. Oh, okay. I've been working on him for a while. Man. Okay. okay. He's ready. <laughs> so I would say that, uh, you know, rather than, uh, I would say that they're going to do what they want to do because just like me, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you fight them, they're just going to lie. And they're just going to do what they want anyway. So why fight it? Why cause all that? Just let them go and just be there for them. Available. That, I won't look at you. Be there, uh, be, available, be available for them so you can be available. The next one up is, if you were in a sober living home, how did you transition and prioritize recovery? I haven't been, but I've worked with some guys that were. Uh, you know, that same kind of, you know, you've really received a gift here. If you're able to do that and you actually have this time where you've got this window of time where you can actually focus on your recovery and actually put yourself into that and as much as you can, uh, it is a gift. But, you know, it seems to be another thing. You know, you go into a treatment center, you go, you know, day one, you want out, right? Uh, and, and it's, again, that disease is whatever this parasite that takes you over, man, just does not want you to do stuff that's going to be good for you. So uh, coaching them into just staying for the long haul because uh, that's what, you know, like that stuff we were talking about in the morning, you know, uh, discipline is the horse I ride in on, you know, doing, staying disciplined, getting that you know, good orderly direction and, and doing things in some kind of reasonable manner and finishing your commitment to this facility. They have a timeline on purpose because they've seen that work, you know, it's kind of like you had, uh, people that thinks the steps won't work for them, you know, I don't know work for me. And I said, what makes you so fucking unique that what's worked for millions of people ain't going to work for you right. and sticking it out. Uh, I don't know. The universe seems to shine on you when you, when you stick it out and whatever that is, the steps, your facility, whatever God happens to have you. Um, when I was, I, I took myself into the brook. Um, and when I did that, I thought I was going to be there for a long time. I really did. And I thought I was going to be sober when I came out. And uh, after five days of being there detoxing, um, they were trying to kick me out and I was scared to death. I was very at ease in there. I felt safe and protected. And um, uh, I asked if I could stay longer and they gave me eight days. So when I got out after eight days, I was scared to death. Um, I didn't really know how AA worked or any of these other things worked. I'd never tried treatment before in my life. So, um, I don't know if I would have gotten to the sober facility house if uh, that would have helped me or not. I, I really don't know, but um, 
I know for, for me personally, I was scared to death to come out of there eight days sober and come back into the world. So uh, I, I don't even know if this is part of the question, but I, I truly believe that people should try to stay in there for a little while just to get some structure in their life instead of getting right back to um, work and all those other things in their life that uh, stress them out in the first place. Thanks, Shane. The question is, what would, how would, would you transfer? Can you say the question one more time, please? If you were in a sober living home, how did you transition and prioritize recovery? Mm. Okay, so um, thank you. Uh, the, the one that hits me strongest that is prioritizing recovery. So if you if you come out of uh, and I've had the pleasure, like I said, you know, we, we we have the pleasure today to help all kinds of people. So the greatest thing about it is that come someone coming out of a sober living house. Let's say they were in there for seven months. They come out they've been safe and protected so you've been safe and protected and you have the unity and the bond that you need to find in the whole in the world so the safe and protection is gone but you feel like you have seven months you come out and and, and with you keep in touch with your sponsor and you start day one based on your new program and your new ideas and your new goals and your new work because you're not so safe and protected anymore and you feel like you have almost a year and it fucks a lot of people up Oops. Because they're like, oh, I got a year, I got this, you know. So the second they think they got it, just because they got a few months on their arm and they're safe and protected, is the second that our disease comes up, cutting back when powerful. So my suggestion is that last part of that question, it would be putting recovery first. Mm -hmm. You have to your spot. You have to hang on to your sponsor, no matter what, and get into the new support group that you have there, or you're or you're or you're dead. Yeah. I've watched a guy though. Now that you say that go back and help at that facility too mm -hmm. you know go back into yeah. the place that helped you get where you're at you know it's, it's, yeah there's no other better way to stay sober and have True. a productive life than to give back what this deal what what this deal gave you 100 percent uh, recovery comes first no matter what in my life period next up is how have you slash do you get over your ego in regards to alcoholism side note even after years of sobriety, my ego tells me to be embarrassed and shameful about being an alcoholic. Good question. I don't think you ever get over your ego. Uh, that's the battle. That is the eternal thing. At some level, when I talk about the disease or this entity or whatever it is, I think it could also be called the, uh, my ego. Uh, it's a constant state of uh, staying humble, and mostly I find that by helping other people. As long as I continue to pour whatever I've got into other people, that keeps my ego at bay, uh, and and that's just been what's been working for me for the past six years. Is help other people keeps my ego on the sidelines. He don't get a voice when I'm pouring into you or you or you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jim. No. Said side note. What was the side note question? Well, he was just saying that even after years of sobriety, my okay. ego tells me to be embarrassed, shameful about being an alcoholic. There you go. Okay. That's the one thing that changed my life, and the kids hush your mouth. Fuck them. If you do this work, there's no reason to be shamed, embarrassed, nothing. Everyone else, it doesn't matter what they think at all. So my suggestion for me is I, went, I was through that. And now today, I don't care doesn't matter to me because it's my life or death on that if I'm guiltful shame if I'm if I'm shameful or embarrassed of what I am today that's that's being that's being dishonest to myself and I'm also gonna die I own up to it by doing the work that's what gave me the confidence 
that I was going to be okay. And it gave me one thing that I've never done before. I actually finished something. <laughs> you know, I, I finished something, you know, that was the hardest work I ever wanted to do. And I did it honestly. And I, and I opened myself up, vulnerability to other men, um, and trusted in something different than me. And today, that, that, that is a killer right there. And the only suggestion I can say today is that please go back and talk with your higher power. Maybe a great idea would be to do another third step inventory. Maybe do some more work on it. Talk to your sponsor. Maybe do some soul writing on it. And it's just okay. Or change your people that are making you feel that way. If you cannot do the first thing first. Change your surroundings. Change your friends that you're embarrassed with. Other than that, once you tell everybody that you are embarrassed of whatever you're embarrassed of, you're going to feel so free. And it's just going to be just okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Um, I call my ego my, my amigo because <laughs> it's all about me. Um, so when I see my amigo uh, all day, every day, I see him in other people. And when I see something in somebody that bothers me, I just know it's my ego. And I look at that and I turn it back on myself. Say, so Travis is looking at me funny. You know what I'm saying? Why is that guy looking at me funny for? Well, when have you looked at somebody funny like that for? You know? There's no fear. Um, somebody cut you off in traffic. When have I cut somebody off in traffic? You know? It's not all about me. It, they're not doing it personally to me. Uh, it's just my ego getting in the way. And um, I crush my ego every day. Uh, I have to. Because it's always coming at me, no matter what. And, um, yeah. That's about all I got on that. Sorry. Thanks, Shane. <laughs> The next question is, at what point did you know enough is enough? Um, I, was, uh, I was sitting on my couch, uh, two days dope sick, with a gun in my hand about to blow my brains out. And uh, I knew at that point that I was done. And um, the, the thought of um, not being able, or somebody else telling my story, about how what a person I was after they found out everything that I had done once I was dead, because they were gonna find out all the lies and figure out what had happened. I didn't want them to tell my story. I wanted to tell my own story, and that's actually what kind of helped keep me sober or keep me from killing myself that day. I didn't want. I wanted to tell my own story, and I get to do that today by being here with you all and tell my own story on how I survived this fucking disease. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ross. Enough was enough. It was March eighth. I decided I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore. Never again. March 8, 2019. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Ross. Man, I don't know that I ever really felt like I got there. You know, I, my, my, my turning point, my what happened was uh, that I had turned to breaking in houses, stealing pain pills, and I got caught. And, uh, and that still wasn't enough. I went six more months after that going to court and watching this prison sentence loom over my shoulders. Uh, what happened was is that this weight got lifted off of me while I did the work and I did the work under a desperation move of being the only thing some guy talking me into believing that if I did this work I wouldn't go to prison right. and I didn't believe him for a minute <laughs> but God damn it he wasn't right, <laughs> right. thanks Dan thanks Dan once again my apologies for this being a little choppy next question is what is the hardest step you ever worked and why? Step one. Mm, mine too. 
Yeah. Step one was, uh, well, I mean, uh, up until I did it, you know, uh, but I, I always tried to quit on my own and uh, didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew that I was an addict or an alcoholic. Not, not one person in my life knew it. And uh, the day I told on my disease, uh, I was free of that. But um, what was the question again? I just went blind. Yeah, step one. Yeah, step one. Uh, but once I did that, all the other steps were easy. I mean, I, I didn't do them thoroughly the first time, but the second time I did, and the third time I did. So yeah my first thought was one and three you know and one is that continuing because the Bible still begin to think and I think that's an echo that everybody you hear if you hang around here is that you know at some point some new drink or some something is going to tap you on the shoulder and make it look like that's a good idea you know <laughs> and so that knowing that I can't do that that I am truly powerless over that stuff and then this this constant working of step three of, of, of knowing I ain't in charge and just jumping into the stream of life and letting the current take me where it takes me, even though I don't necessarily want to go there sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, I think three, really, because one, I was under, I understood I was powerless and I was unmanageable because I was broken, but I knew, I, I, I didn't think that, that God was well, we were mad at each other. He didn't want me, and I didn't want him, and I was mad at him, and, uh, and then it was all, you know, I was, you know, guilt, shame, remorse, and um, I had to do my third step twice. Uh, I was high the first time. I wasn't about to go do the third step, so but not high. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I'm not going to talk to God sober. Um, and um, so I think three, but, uh, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, three, two, one, three, two, one. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it's inconsistent. Uh, until I embraced, once I, once I embraced, then I then 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 I was like, oh wow, maybe one was the hardest because yeah. I was denying, I was in denial, I wasn't surrendering, I wasn't accepting, and then finally embracing, I'm oh okay cool, and then all of a sudden oh one, you know, you start moving through them, you're like oh 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 that was easy, oh, oh that wasn't all really that bad, and, I, and you know now I just you love them all, you know what I mean? So uh, I think it's as hard as you make. I mean, it was insanity when I was do, for doing them and that, you know. So like my brain, like thinking back then, I mean. It, my total answers today are way different than they were then. I was freaking super sick, you know. And uh, so that would be my answer. Three. Thanks for us. Thanks. You're welcome. And probably my favorite question of the night: Why is a home group so important? And what does your home group mean to you? Whoa. Our home group means to everything to us. Yes. Everything to us. Our home group is so tight. Um, it, it's. We go, we go on spiritual retreats uh, to this man's place up in Indiana. He hosts a, a, a thing called SPURT, Spiritual Underground Retreat. And it's actually next weekend, all th- quite a few fellas in here will be uh, up in Indiana at his place having a spiritual retreat. And we're all in the same home group. Um, we grow and bond and do things together and get vulnerable. We share our deepest emotions, our deepest secrets with each other. Our yeah. everyday lives. Every, every single day, every day. All day on Marco Polo. Yeah, we have this app, Marco Polo. And when, if we're having a bad day, we get on there. If we're having a good day, we get on there. No matter what, we're on there every it's day. It's constant staying connected. Contact. Yeah, staying connected. Yeah. But it means everything to me. You know, might laugh about it, man, but I mean, I, that is that is dead fucking serious with me, my claws in my yeah. recovery, grabbing on to these guys. I'm just, I'm just how serious it is yeah. to me. 
is that keeping my claws into these guys so that I can walk this walk with them. And you know, it's a little bit like the military where I'm not shooting my rifle to keep me alive. I'm shooting my rifle to keep these guys alive. And they're shooting theirs to keep me alive. Mm -hmm. So just like how important, <laughs> if you couldn't feel that. There was a little banter in here and I'm trying to keep the chairperson's voice out of it as much as possible. So here we go again. It's the energy. And that's something we have. We have we have a very strong energy when we group up together, and that's what's about connection. We are on that, uh, Travis. A lot of a lot of people are in here that are on it right now. We are consistently. It's like we we see every single thing that everybody we share. And I mean, uh, I mean, you know, you know, Marco Polo. If you guys don't have it, uh, Holly. Thank God, Holly introduced us to it. And uh, it's a great way to talk to your sponsees because they can just video you and see anytime you want. It's free. And then uh, we have eight of us in there, and uh, we call it sealed. We had 15, but you know, so, so some things, some people don't participate, and just things happen. So we have eights. So we call them Soul Team Six. And uh, you, you blink your eye, or or do something for 15 minutes. There's 37 Marco Polos, <laughs> and you're like, whoa! Like so, you go through the anxiety, the guilt, and like I'll just watch them. And then you watch them, you just get jacked up. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what time it is, but if something's going on. Uh, it's, we have group me's that we do. We have group me three group me's. Mm -hmm. We have Marco Polo's. We have uh, consistently if something's Podcast. going on somewhere. And we get together life, physically. Mm -hmm. And we get together physically. If something's going on in someone's life that's a minimum minimum millimeter off center, twenty guys are right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a lifesaver for me in the beginning, one hundred percent. Just to know that I had wrote my, wrote my phone number down on a sheet and I was a part of something. And then I gave myself accountability, like she said, to show up to that meeting every week. And then they knew who I was. And then I'm getting God shots over right now. Uh, they knew who I was, and they just kind of welcomed me in. The next thing you know, I mean, with us, you know, <laughs> you come to our meeting, you know, and, and I tried to walk away. And some dude grabbed me by the arm and said, no, you're going to introduce yourself to all of us. And I mean, Eddie, Eddie Gilmore had been around forever, grabbed me and pulled me in to 40 people. Travis asked for a sponsor. 18 people approached him right after that that night. I mean, this is the place, you know, if you guys want a spiritual underground, we have a women's, we, we have, also have a we women's have a women's too. meeting, we have, okay. <laughs> we have a, a women's meeting, uh, we have a Tuesday night women's meeting, okay. if you're interested, please see Holly cool. after the meeting. They modeled themselves after us. <laughs> and the final question, what is your favorite thing about sobriety? connection. I had the best friends in my life. Uh, I didn't have friends before this. I had acquaintances. Uh, I had people I was trying to impress. I don't have to impress anybody here and I have true, genuine love, friendships. I mean, uh, the best friends in my life. Friendship. Thank you. Same thing he said. Oh, friendship? Did I have the same? Um, true love for another human being today. And to keep this fun, along with the feeling of a real meeting, which it was great to be sitting in a real meeting with real people, here is the obligatory applause followed by the Lord's Prayer. Let's thank the panelists, guys. Heck yeah, 12 years, bring it in. Let's bring this in. Hallelujah, name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just who they wanted 